Welcome everyone to the 88th episode of DF Direct Weekly. Yes, it's the show where we do news, talk about video games, and if you take our 55th episode and add 32, you get something like 88. But nonetheless, <laughs> let's talk to our co-host, it's Richard Ledbetter. Hello there, I'm curious about this bizarre affected voice you've put on. <laughs> Is, is it's this just, what I don't when you want... join the Embracer group? <laughs> no, no. I just didn't want people to be shell-shocked when they okay. see me. Because they're so used to you doing these You just, you just wanted to freak them out. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, don't want to scare them away more okay. so than we usually do. But, Rich, this is not a blind date between me and you. We got a wingman. Okay. We got John Lindman. See, that voice to me sounded a lot like Norwegian Santa. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> No comments. There is no relation. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, it's uh, good to be back. It's been a while since I was here last time. I think it was uh, I think it was when Blizzard decided to sell when oh, Rich yeah. was conveniently on right. on vacation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that so, big news. Well, you know, it's been a while, Audi, and we've actually got some supporter questions. Just quickly before we kick off about your absence. Uh, this oh. one from Roach. Hi, Audi, we missed you. What's been going on? We need more Audi. We need... Did you see that? We need more Audi. Uh, hi, Audi. How have you been? From uh, who the hell am I? And uh, this one from <laughs> L- Lich Read Better. Uh, that's not me, by the way. Welcome back, Audi. After getting COVID three times, how, how is your 5G signal? And did it lead you to pivoting to becoming a game streaming stan? Hold on, Rich. How, how is it public information that I had COVID three times? It's just out there, I think. Mm, I see. <laughs> uh, didn't come from you, I'm sure. And I'm sure these questions are also not all from you. No, they uh, are. Just actually, all get... of, I'm just saying they're genuinely all supporter questions. Mm. Indeed. Uh, I'm sure we can get into that a little bit uh, at, later in the episode. But I've been well, and I'm very touched by people reaching out and asking where I am and what I'm doing uh, in general. I, I get a lot of nice messages from DF fans uh, pretty much every week. So uh, but I'm sure we can talk more about that after the amazing amount of news this year and this week, right? So let's jump straight into it. So in general, there's some news coming out of that sale we talked about. And one of the things that's been coming out now is uh, I think it was a document that sort of leaked a slightly redacted document that shows uh, some planning for the future. And those plans are that we might be getting consoles in 2027 to 2028, the new consoles from these manufacturers. Rich, Mm -hmm. what do you make of this? Um, well, yeah, this is kind of like uh, all manner of unseemly uh, news is appearing for, thanks to these uh, documents being submitted to various uh, licensing authorities who are taking a look at the Microsoft Activision Blizzard merger. And um, basically, there's a lot of sort of peripheral information that's coming out. And um, one of those uh is related to the persistence of Call of Duty potentially on other platforms. And as a sort of adjunct to that, what's basically being suggested is that we won't be seeing consoles, new consoles, replacements for um, series and PlayStation 5 until 2028, uh, which is, I'd say, quite an extended time period for this generation. Uh, on the one hand, I don't really have particularly any issues with that because... Well, you know, what can I say? Um, uh, we've not really started this generation yet, really. We're still in what I like to call the cross-gen malaise. 
so, you know, I do expect these uh, machines to, to persist for quite a long time. Secondly, I don't think people quite appreciate how far Microsoft and Sony had to push to actually get a generational leap this time. Uh, so, it, you know, and, and obviously that's kind of been borne out since then by the fact that um, uh, any kind of technological piece of equipment has basically gone up in price and um, the kind of golden spot for like PC hardware is, is, you know, the prices are still drifting up regardless of where you are in the stack. So, yeah, um, I don't know what you think about this, John, but fundamentally I'm not, there may well be mid-console, mid-refresh sort of consoles similar to um, uh, 1X and PS4 Pro, but I do think that we are in it for the long haul with this one. I mean, to me, it's largely unsurprising. I mean, the Xbox 360 generation lasted eight years, <clears throat> seven for PS3, of course. Uh, that would have been 2005 to 2013, right? And then net last gen was 2013 to 2020, so seven years. So 2027 to 2028 is basically exactly the same as the last two generations. So it's kind of right in line with what you'd expect. The only obvious thing we don't know yet is, as you mentioned, the cross-gen, or sorry, the uh, mid-gen upgrade that could potentially occur but i'm still skeptical that such a thing will happen yeah. given the, the situation with pricing the length of cross-gen the lack of new technology for those machines to potentially target i don't think 8k is it um you know and the fact that it's i mean the, the machines are selling well but uh you know especially with when you look at like the success of the series s it would be really weird on the microsoft side especially if all of a sudden they had like a machine above the series x right and then you got three xboxes and a lot of people bought like the lowest tier one and suddenly that one feels extra low tier you know what i mean Uh, in a way that doesn't work i think the mid console refreshes this time will be more about affordability than really pushing too much tech honestly so like slim uh, slim machines yeah like like slim machines uh we all need slim down after the pandemic to be honest um but do you think though that because with ps3 and xbox 360 those texts were kind of long the tooth by the time the next consoles comes out came out but do you think we'll face that situation here with ps5 and xbox series x that that technology is just a little bit too old by the time the next consoles come out uh, I mean, if you look at the PS4, the base PS4, I'd say that thing has held up really well uh, in the same in time period, right? Uh, new games are still shipping on that thing, and they run pretty well. I mean, the Xbox One S hasn't, or the One, the original One, hasn't aged that well. But I would still argue that Xbox One games today are in better shape than really late Gen 360 and PS3 games. Right. You know? Yeah, I'd say so too. Like yeah, the cross-gen period last time was really bad for those machines there were so many games Mm. coming out on those older machines that you know 20 fps constant screen tearing massively pared down visuals missing features all that stuff uh we're not really like we just looked at we'll talk about this but we just looked at warzone 2.0 right and it's pretty rough on those old machines but you look at what happened with like call of duty black ops 3 uh, when it was released on PS360, I mean, they stripped out most of the game and you just had an ugly version of the multiplayer, right? And it was it was terrible. Yes. It's a bad product compared to what, what we're getting on the last-gen machines this time. I, th- I think there are interesting parallels with the 360 generation in that, it, um, you know, as soon as it kicked off, 2008 financial crisis happened. 
big economic turmoil. I suspect that um, extended to that particular generation as well. We're seeing the same thing again this time. Um, I just think the concept of actually making a machine that's console priced is is going to be really difficult. And I think to actually double, um, you need at least double the performance to actually justify a new gen. You need more than that, really. Um, and actually achieving that is going to be really difficult. Um, the other thing I think that, you know, Microsoft in particular, I think, will be looking at the, the success of Series S and the success of the Switch and thinking, well, do gamers actually need power, right? Um, uh, you know, is is that the primary function for driving a new console? And they might be having some second thoughts there. Uh, but at the same time, um, some of the stuff that's happening in, happening in the PC space now, I mean... Um, Let's assume that the 4070 Ti comes out at sort of 799, hopefully. Um, that is basically offering two times, more than two times uh, PS5 performance. Once you factor in stuff like DLSS and ray tracing, PC is only going to get even more advanced across, the, across this generation up until 2028, right? So I do see that there could actually be an interesting fork in the way games are developed, you know, maybe even two render paths for PC, one for PC, one for consoles and lower end PCs. I think that's the, the game plan that NVIDIA has um, so maybe there is a technological reason to push the consoles going forward, but I just don't think financially it's possible to do it before 2028. And even then, how much you know, how much more power are we actually going to be able to get out of these, um, you know, out of a $500 box? There's also the the length of development cycles this time around. I mean, games are taking more money, more time, more people to make, uh, and I think you know that. That also has an, an impact on the length of a console generation now, or it should. Like, you think God of War Ragnarok just came out. It's a cross-gen game. When do you think we'll see their actual first, truly from-the-ground-up PS5 title? Four years from now? Yeah, right? <laughs> like, so, like, basically everything happening uh, with these big game releases, it's going to be a long time before you see more titles like this. So I think that's the biggest difference between, like, the parallels of... The financial crisis that Rich mentioned, and now with the pandemic, was that the pandemic kind of got going as the console generation just started. So the software just isn't there yet, the amount of software. So that extends to life just there, I think, in that we haven't really gotten to the point where we're really seeing much of the power of these consoles utilized so there's some great examples out there but there's not enough of them mm. and yeah. I, most of us are still playing ps4 and xbox uh, one game there was more early on was. actually that's the thing way more <laughs> uh, during that time because they had like you know two years of active you know full development and budgets uh, by the time the financial crisis hit so there was you know things in motion already but we came into this cost generation and i think we you know a lot of people talked about them perhaps shoot having to push back the releases back then remember in 2020 oh yeah because it just i think this know, was the year the world wasn't ready i think this this 2022 was the year that we really saw the effects of that in action mm -hmm. like there was still plenty of releases from sony and nintendo had some stuff but you like look at what happened it just feels like a lot of stuff has been delayed 
uh, or just yeah, push back. Like, I would imagine yeah. Microsoft would have liked to have had more big Xbox games this year. Well, one, uh, one just, big I mean, Xbox game would have been yeah. nice, right? Yeah, one, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what, uh, you know, Starfield was going to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, look, I think we're sort of reaching the, the, the burnout period of COVID, right? Where yeah. so many people pushed so hard, achieved the impossible, something's got to give right that's that's kind of yeah. what 2022 has been and it, actually 2022 kicked off incredibly well but only really because there were so many titles from 21 that that were delayed into 22 <laughs> so um, and then it stopped you know essentially we had six months of not much happening at all things are picking up now i mean there's some really nice stuff happening and 2023 is you know it should be pretty nuts in terms of uh, releases and new hardware and stuff oh yeah but yeah, I mean, essentially, I think we could be looking at twenty twenty three as like the proper dawn of net of of current gen, as it were. The, the first sort of, even so, there's still plenty of cross gen games coming, but we might actually see more of a focus on 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 these new machines. We might actually see a proper kicking off to this to this uh, particular generation. But twenty twenty eight, I'm you know, I don't really have too many issues with that. I do wonder how the Series S might fare across those years. <laughs> um, we shall see yeah i guess we'll see but yeah certainly uh very interesting to see all of this stuff cropping up in these uh, various legal documents i guess we can talk about that next but i think the thing we should sort of stress before we uh before we move on to that topic is that what you actually see in these documents is kind of like being seen as a uh, an insight into the soul of Microsoft and Sony, when in actual fact it's arguments being put forward to lawyers by lawyers, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's certainly lots of hilarity to discuss, as we shall see in the new next news topic. So, as Rich mentioned, uh, there's been a lot of uh, attempted blockage on this acquisition from Microsoft's side. Uh, lawyers are involved. And now there has been some responses. And Rich, again, you're the one who sounds more like a lawyer between the three of us. <laughs> Why don't you go into these documents that we have been seeing on this deal? Um, I think John's actually read through the document and, and sort of picks out some of the stuff that's, uh, that, that's just hilarious. But essentially, um, the crux of the matter is, is that Sony is contesting um, Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard because, well, fundamentally, they don't seem to give a toss about anything other than Call of Duty and the importance of Call of Duty to um, the PlayStation ecosystem and uh, the concept that Call of Duty might be denied to PlayStation users and uh, the the fact that it would give Microsoft an unfair competitive advantage. Um, but I think the thing that's, that's quite amusing about this is that um, Microsoft's rebuttal is essentially Call of Duty. Nah, it's not all that. That's kind of the thing here is the way they're the infighting <laughs> happening. Like, Sony's coming out saying, yeah, Call of Duty is the most important thing in the world. It's more important than everything we ever made. Like, we need Call yes. of Duty, right? And then Microsoft's like, <laughs> right. Call of Duty sucks. Like, we don't need this. It's it's just one of those games. There's other better games out there. No worries. Like, it's just so, like, this lawyer speak, the way they're presenting it, it's really weird and funny to see. Like, the Microsoft lawyers are really trying to, like, paint Microsoft as this poor little, like, newcomer that doesn't have a chance at competing without this and, like 
their games, you know, they're, they're commenting on the quality of their games. They're, they're basically suggesting that everyone else around them is a powerhouse. They're suggesting Nintendo has the most amount of mature titles compared to them, that Sony has better games, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and it just, it paints such a weird picture because I don't really think that's, none of this is actually accurate to say like it, it, I, I think it's old food viewed through a certain prism oh, yeah right? yeah maybe i mean that's if, it. if if you if you look at the big three there is an argument that microsoft is at the bottom of the pile right sure it's just how but, how but far but, at the bottom of the yes, pile are they right i mean the thing is the concept of them be painting themselves as underdogs is obviously you know, patently nonsense when they can drop seven billion dollars on bethesda and then 69 billion on activision you know yeah it's it's, it's kind of a bit bizarre and it's not as if F- xbox isn't like an established brand with massive brand power now um, so I, I'm finding all of this really, really quite, quite amusing. And you know, the, the sort of um, the what the, the justifies the justifications for Call of Duty not being, you know, as big as it is. You know, this one in particular consistently outranked on Metacritic scores. <laughs> Bla- yeah. Black Ops Cold War was ranked number 18 in 2020 out of 126 titles, and uh, Vanguard, which you know that was a week entry, 73. So, um, so, yeah. Sony I mean, also, uh, they threw out a sick burn against Battlefield. They're pretty much like, yeah, Battlefield can't compete with Call of Duty. Which, again, through a certain prism, yes, that's, I mean, it's it's quite accurate to say that. But it's just the harshness of it. It's the same with uh, Sony's statement on their, they, they fear that uh, Microsoft will raise the prices of games and hardware. Yeah, when, when they've it, done that. They're the ones that just did that. And you're like, I mean, it's it's it, it's just the way that they're painting one another. It's so, it's just bizarre to see this stuff out there in this way. Well, you know, the whole Battlefield thing, I, th- I find quite interesting that where they call, you know, I think it's like something like 88 million sales as a failure. <laughs> because Call of Duty's done like four hundred million, um, I think that the, the, I think absolutely Call of Duty is up there to be challenged and can be beaten. And Battlefield sure. could have done it, right? It's just they've there were certain years where um, uh, Call of Duty released poor games, and there was a Battlefield title, and the Battlefield title wasn't good enough. I mean, right. the classic example would be, I guess, um, Battlefield Four versus Call of Duty Ghosts yeah, they, uh, in 2013. Oh, they should have had that one, right? Last year, um, Vanguard was a weak series entry for Call of Duty. Battlefield 2042 was just not good enough. So, you know, I think absolutely Call of Duty can be challenged, but you actually just need to be there with the product. You know, you, the product's got to be good enough. But yeah, all manner of crazy things in here. And um uh, I think, it, as I said earlier, it is important to point out that you're not getting, you know, you, okay, you are getting some in- interesting stats that are coming out, um, but you aren't getting uh, a sort of unfiltered view into the soul of Phil Spencer and Jim Ryan. That's that's not what you're getting. You're getting arguments being put forward to, yeah. to, to, I, to these these massive. I gotta say though, Rich, bodies. like yeah, considering exactly. this, these are written by lawyers. I was surprised to see them misspell certain IP. For instance, Spider Man. Not not only do they not do the Marvel's Spider Man thing, which it's is Marvel always Spider-Man. like the official line, but they even forgot the hyphen. 
Yeah, it's just unforgivable. And you're just like, this is, this is, you know. And somebody else noted it somewhere, and they referred to Ghost of Tsushima as Ghosts of Tsushima in the plural. And it's just like, you know, it's just silly stuff. And also the uh, the Microsoft lawyer, when the way they say the CMA has mischaracterized the Nintendo Switch as being predominantly for families, you know, it neglects the more mature adult games on the Switch. They're basically <laughs> siding with Tommy Teller to on that. If you guys remember, wow! <laughs> so, yes, they just Oof. confirmed him. He's uh, correct. Well, that's it. Case closed. Yeah. Definitive, definitive information there. We're all honest. I mean, thing. there was some in- interesting no, yeah. stuff coming out also about um, Game Pass. Oh, sorry, Games Pass. Games Alex Pass. Yeah, calls it because there's more than one game in it. Um, <laughs> uh, where uh, there was 29 million uh, subscribers confirmed, which uh, by Sony which is a figure that Microsoft hasn't disclosed. So you kind of get some of, I suspect, what they consider to be insider intel. 29 million subscribers to Game Pass, though. That's uh, that's quite an achievement. And maybe that's what this is all about at the end of the day, you know, the fact I that, um, yeah, that, that, that Game Pass is uh, number one in its field and is only getting bigger. The, yeah, lots of lots of amazing. How stuff accurate do you think that number is, though, Rich? Um, it, it seems to have, you know, it doesn't seem unreasonable, right? Right. Hmm. The, the, no. it's, it's, across PC, across and PC, Xbox. yeah. So yeah. the whole thing about this case that I've been thinking about then is, like, what happens if this doesn't go through? I feel like uh, that could trigger some pretty nasty business within the console space because I. I First of all, Activision itself, you know, you know, these companies are driven by investors, right? And the need to, you must provide value to your investors. And I feel like if this doesn't go through, it could potentially lead to a very difficult situation within what remains of Activision. I don't think it's just a Kotick issue. I think there's more to it than that. So it could potentially really impact them because, you know, with investors, and I hate this about capitalism, is it, Every year must be a growth year. Growth, growth, growth. It doesn't matter if you've made a ton of money. You have to have growth. And it just feels like with everything going on, this could lead to something not good for them. I also wonder, it, like, would Microsoft go on a vindictive uh, you know, acquisition spree if this were to fall through? Like, fine, we'll just go buy up all these uh, other developers and, you know, just out, out of, of spite. spite. Like, with the way that this document <laughs> Can- is written you could almost feel like some sort of situation like that happening from both sides even. Uh, so I don't know. It's, yeah. it's a weird potential future that lies in head of ahead of us. Mm. Wasn't like there was a, maybe it's related, but wasn't there like a lawsuit maybe coming up as well regarding this deal from like the FDA or something um, towards Microsoft? Uh, the FTC, FTC yeah. The FTC, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So it just seems like there's, there's well, there's there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of legis, legis, legislative oversight going on here yeah. with yeah. this deal, and rightfully so, right? Because you know it is it is a mm. it is a massive acquisition, sixty nine billion billion dollars. Um, so you know, I think there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of oversight for it, and rightfully so. And but I do still think the deal is going to go through. Yeah, at I, the end of the day, I think it'll be yeah. through in the end. I don't see it not going through uh, at this stage and based on these arguments, but you never know, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
But I do think. That so go I think through. that yeah, ultimately um, the the big uh, bone of contention has been whether Call of Duty would go exclusive, right? And it's it's not going to. Yeah. I so think it's pretty clear at this point. The whole thing to me feels like Sony's just trying to get as much as they can out of this. They're just pushing back on everything. They want to see how far they can push it. Obviously, Call of Duty is the main you know driving factor here. They want to retain this on their platform. I also suspect that they would like it to not go to Game Pass. Uh, you know, right. mm-hmm. which is another thing, but it just, there's almost this spitefulness to everything that it feels like they're just, they're just throwing everything at this case just to gum up the works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what they should be doing really. I think, um, the problem is that obviously all of the stuff that they're talking about call of duty aside, you know, they're doing themselves in terms of, um, procuring exclusives in terms of, um, studio acquisitions. So, you know, it's, it, it doesn't look great to the to the gamers or, and the audience who can really easily see, see through this stuff. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it is just sort of legal manoeuvring and positioning. Um, I am quite sort of curious to see how, you know, the, the thing is, I guess, um, going back to Games, par- games Pass, <laughs> um, although apparently they've got 29 million users, um, that for two years in a row they've missed their targets for subscribers. And um, obviously, I think getting Activision involved would bolster that. And, you know, they've got to do something. So I guess if this doesn't happen, then absolutely there could be further sort of, um, uh, you know, a a grab for further studio acquisitions and stuff on a smaller scale that would get through similar to the way Sony's have. It's, It's... it's not pleasant to see it all, really. See, I, sort of, um... I would kind of prefer in some ways to see both companies taking this exclusive uh, approach where rather than acquiring a studio, you essentially help fund games from a developer and the developer remains independent or, you know, owned by another company of some sort rather than just buying them up, right? Like, there's, I don't see what's stopping Microsoft from investing money in just, you know... Like, obviously, there's the Final Fantasy VII Remake situation. Could could Microsoft not do something similar with that without acquiring the company? Or do they not see any value in doing this unless they actually acquire the developer along with it? I just mm. I would rather see more independent companies that occasionally produce titles exclusively for a platform than everything being consolidated between these different giants, you know? Yeah, there is an additional angle to this, which has been uh, coming out, which is that it's all about actually expanding into different areas of gaming, including mobile. Yeah. Uh, we, but I'm I'm not quite sure. I know Activision did have a couple of acquisitions, bit major acquisitions the in the yeah in the mobile space, but I don't see it as a game changer that you for for mobile that you'd you'd spend sixty nine billion dollars on to get a foothold in the market. I don't know. But um, what we do know, of course, is that Phil is very big on expanding um, the amount of players that he can address, right? Sure. Streaming was part of that strategy. And maybe this is too, but in, in ways that haven't yet been, um, that, that haven't yet come to light, bearing in mind the focus of all of this has been on Call of Duty. All right. Well, I'm sure this is not the last time we're going to be talking about this topic. I'm sure there will be more legal wranglings and updates to this story as we go along. It's been following us the entire year. So, uh, but let's move on to the next news topic.
There has been some updates to the Witcher 3 next-gen update. Now, for those who are not too familiar, I believe this is a free update for the next-gen consoles. Uh, from what we knew so far, there would be like ray tracing, which means we also have some boners in Berlin, which is also my favorite movie. Uh, there will be support for FSR, DLSS, uh, but they did a live stream. Uh, John, you took a look at this stream. What's uh, what's in this uh, next-gen update that you know of? Well, yeah, so this is... Uh, it feels like CD Projekt Red continuing to try to make good on, you know, previous promises they've made and just... the But the level of support we're seeing here, I think, is something that deserves to be sort of celebrated. The Witcher 3 is not a new game. I mean, it still sells in the same way that Grand Theft Auto V sells, they didn't need to offer this for free. I think they could have sold this as a as a new product for a smaller price, kind of like Grand Theft Auto V's next-gen update, and people would have been happy to pay it. But I'm, you know, hats off to them for not taking that approach. And instead, it seems like we're getting a lot of features and improvements to the game, both in terms of visuals and the overall user experience. So obviously the big thing here is on Xbox Series X and PS5, as well as PC, of course, uh, ray tracing has been added. So they specifically in the presentations mentioned ray traced global illumination uh, and ambient occlusion, which is typically, you know, factored into the GI, I guess. So I'm curious to see how this works. But uh, PC also gets shadows and ray traced reflections, which will be excellent for the water, which exhibited rather subpar SSR in the past, I would say. So lots of ray tracing here. Alex is going to be very, very happy and and already dancing up and down over these improvements. They've also made changes to things, certain textures and materials. They've swapped out the grass. The grass was always sort of a point of contention in terms of uh, my feelings on the game's visuals. It never looked great. It does look better That's now. That's why you never bought it, right? Uh, I did buy it, I admit. Oh. But you know, <laughs> well, good, good good news, John. You're getting a free upgrade. Exactly. So that's that's fantastic. Uh, console versions. They did mention again that um, there's a 60 FPS performance mode, and then the ray tracing, obviously, mm. 30 frames per second. Uh, this will be another title. There's not that many so far, but this seems to be one that has two ray tracing features enabled simultaneously, which is nice. Uh, Series S does not seem to get ray tracing. No, but it does have 30, so, 60 toggling. Yeah. So I assume it'll just be, you know, the 30 mode should target a much higher res and look pretty sharp. And then, you know, 60 FPS probably in the 1080p range, if I had to just guess. We'll see. Uh, also, DLSS 3 and FSR 2 are being implemented, and the consoles mm-hmm. get FSR 2. Yeah, so, some good stuff, isn't it? I think, I mean, I watched the stream, John, and... Um, there seemed to be a lot of attention to detail going into this product, and they were did a really good job of showcasing it in a yeah, kind of informal discussion format. But all of the key information got out there, and it was you know obviously stuff that wasn't sort of fully uh, clarified at the time, like you know the ray tracing stuff was clarified afterwards. Uh, that's all good stuff, and um, yeah, I mean horse cam, roach cam, can't argue with oh, yeah. that. <laughs> Photo mode. Photo mode. Is it? It's looking closer to like cyberpunk at this point, no? uh, like in terms of the camera system and whatnot. No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, cyberpunk's I so. fully look kind of similar. Cyberpunk's first person, except for when you drive the car, right? So it wouldn't be comparable. I mean, it would be cool if they added a first person mode to this. <laughs> 
I, I could go for that. Wasn't there a third-person camera system no, on no, Cyberpunk? No, not at all. Am I confusing games here? Possibly. I didn't play. <laughs> no, Cyberpunk is first-person only. Please keep this in, just so people know how that is. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. That was actually... Uh, people complained about that, but I actually loved that Cyberpunk was first-person mm-hmm. only, because they went really heavy on the first-person animation. I don't think it would have worked well in third-person, given how tight some of the scenes are in that game. I'm- uh, but... I am intrigued about uh, Boner in Berlin. Uh, <laughs> going back to your yeah. intro there, Audi. The three leg dance. Is it like sleep, uh, Sleepless in Seattle? From, uh... It's just like a, a spiritual <laughs> Alex Batalia based sequel to Sleepless in Seattle, yeah. Boner in Berlin. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, actually, you know, in oh. terms of. Uh, I would have assumed that Alex's Boner would have quickly diminished from the stream because it kicked off with PC. And oh, yeah. uh, they showed some of the cat. He didn't even reach that point. <laughs> and he, you know, they were showing some of the camera stuff on PC, but then, you know, when it started mm-hmm. to get down to the technical details, they, they switched to the consoles. Console. And uh, so he was pouring <laughs> over screenshots directly after the stream to, to see what's going on. And he correctly they did switch identified, back, though. He correctly <laughs> identified that there were ray-traced um, reflections in there. And I suspect that the whole focus on consoles is um, because you can get an extra PR beat specific to PC users. This is a huge PC game, right? And if you've got some mm. extra features to show, why why bury it in a console-orientated uh, presentation when you can actually do a PC showcase? So hopefully that's going to happen. Hopefully we'll see more on that because it is well, a huge game. Furthermore, PC. in the PC space, unfortunately, most people do not share our enthusiasm for ray tracing. Uh there's always that sentiment of why would I use that? I'll just turn it off for more. Free. Well, how do you know that, John? I mean, because you know, <laughs> if you know, well, first of all, look at the Steam survey. Look what hardware is out there. What you mean? You five out of ten cards are RTX. Yeah, but uh, well, <laughs> five out of the top ten. I mean, here's the thing, right? I mean, we, we've said it before, but you know, uh, Twitter is a really interesting kind of subset of reality where, you know, if if everything that happened on Twitter was reality, uh, Brexit wouldn't have happened. Trump would be in jail, um, oh, yeah. and um, you know it, there would just be a completely different utopian style lifestyle for everybody. But the actual cold light of day is that it's very, very different out there in reality. And you know, Nvidia still has eighty percent market share. That's true. And they are investing a ton into into um, ray tracing, and it's it's seemingly paying off because that you know nobody's thinking, oh, I don't need that. I'll buy a cheaper AMD card as well, which I think is actually you know absolutely there's an argument for that. Sick burn, Rich. <laughs> Well, it's it's the way it is, right? I mean, you can't argue yeah. with the sales figures. That's you know, no, that's absolutely. The, that's the way it is. So you know, um, whatever they're doing, they're doing right in that they're maintaining this 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 market position. And I think part of it is the fact that they are leading in terms of features. And absolutely. and that's... you know, if those features weren't good, they wouldn't be copied. That's that's, that's true. The thing. That's true. And those features are good. And there's a good chance that this will be relatively reasonable on system requirements given you know the age of the base game i mean Absolutely. it's not going to be light but especially it, yeah. with dlss3 on the new cards it should be easy to blitz through this at very high uh how are we referring to uh generated frames it's uh, not the frame rate is high or is it you well you, it is the frame rate because they yeah, are, the frame rate is higher i think the, the performance has not increased the, yeah the, the point of contention is whether you can call frame generated frames extra performance right they present like extra performance but they don't feel like extra performance and your pc isn't actually working any faster 
So, exactly. yeah, that's kind of the just a sort of differentiation there uh, with DLSS 3. Do you think you guys would be just as positive about this news if it was actually a paid update, though? Uh, um, I think it would be there would be a slightly yeah. more muted response to it, right? But but you are getting right. a lot here, more than you know, for example, uh, the Ghost of Tsushima upgrade for PlayStation Five, which was right. you know, is at the extreme case of a, of a paid upgrade where you can actually take it or leave it, you know, even though it, own, it's, it was only like ten dollars more. <laughs> so yeah. Um, right. But absolutely, they could have charged extra for this, just as um, 4A Games could have, uh, you know, charged more for or charged anything for Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition. But I, I, I suppose CD Projekt needs the PR, a good PR story here anyway, right? Absolutely. After Possi- some pretty turbulent years. Possibly, yeah. But um, the game, you know, the question is, do you need... Do you need, I guess, you know, they would make more money, but, you know, the game's just continuing to sell anyway. And I think the whole Netflix thing has basically given it an extra surge in sales anyway. But it is kind of like... Yeah, they did announce DLC based on the show. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot going on here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we're looking forward to obviously covering more on this. Um, We'll have focuses on the console versions. Uh, Alex is obviously going to go to town big time on the PC version of the game. So, yeah. Much to look I, forward to I here. I can't wait to see uh, the the bog return in Tom's video. <laughs> mm, yeah, Novigrad. It's the place. Yeah, Novigrad for the CPU. Novigrad, the bog, and of course, you know, where Cyberpunk has Tom's Diner. That's the thing about testing these games. Popular games that you retest over the years, you kind of settle on those specific areas that you keep revisiting. Like, if you recall Rise of the Tomb right. Raider, the geothermal valley. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. We, we've been through that place so many times. I still have that perfectly mapped out in my head. <laughs> Great <laughs> test area. I mean, this is the type of announcements and coverage you guys dream of right because it's both console pc and pretty extensive yep, so exactly uh there's quite a lot of videos here which uh after this year uh welcoming news uh but yeah uh, i'm sure we'll learn more details about witcher 3 is it uh when is it supposed to release the 14th of december yeah mm-hmm. yeah so uh, by that time you know you guys will be testing it anyway but yeah let's move on to some other news now, guys, uh, this uh, headline here, as it's written on the doc, kind of confuses me a bit. Uh, the Callisto Protocol opening has leaked. The characters look awesome. But here on the docket, <laughs> it says that the pre-order death animations suck balls. Now, I'm not sure oh. whether you mean that this is a bad it's situation basically... or if there's actually a pre-order animation where someone's <laughs> testicles would... gets ripped out and they die that from it. A... Oh, that, would a... that would be a remarkable <laughs> death animation, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, I think there's basically two two stories here, which is, first of all, that the opening of the Callisto Protocol has leaked. And uh, then there's um, some tech that um, the developer has actually been showcasing, which is, you know, sort of next level character rendering. So, you know, I'd say it's comparable with what we were seeing in The Matrix Awakens. It's really impressive stuff. Then there's a third mm-hmm. story here, which was, you know, pre-order the game and you get extra death animations. And it's like, well, hold on, shouldn't those have been in the main game? And then Glenn Schofield basically came back and said, they're not done yet. They're extra. You're not losing anything from the main game. Um, John, you're you're quite heavily invested in Callisto Protocol, right? You're you're looking forward to this one. What do you make of all of this? So it's not about pre-ordering. It's more that the season pass includes. uh, Right. So they're promising new story DLC, new areas, and a new mode. 
which is fantastic, actually. That's great to see. Uh, throwing the new death animations in there, that's a, that's a fascinating one. Um, uh, how, Slightly perverse. How do I feel, like, yeah, like... If if there was a, a if there was a ball sucking death animation, I think I'd be all in on the season pass. <laughs> wow, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It could also yeah. feature in uh, Boner in Berlin. Uh, yeah. See, I'm learning more about Rich than the new <laughs> Absolutely. episodes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't I don't, this stuff is weird to me. I think because it's like it, whatever. I guess some people are there for it, but it's just it's a little grisly to be focusing on like yeah we're gonna do a bunch of new death animations like <laughs> really yeah it, it's it feels weird to me to get excited about yeah. that but then again the dna of this series well uh you know this is the it's not a series it's not a series got, like yet, the eye but no, no sorry it's not a series yet but the p i mean the dna it comes from people who created Correct. a certain yes, other yes, series yes. with a very grisly definitions uh usually re- revolving around eyes or dismemberment yeah, this space was pretty and, intense uh, in that regard as well so yeah it was and uh i find violence pretty unsettling personally so it's kind of weird for me obviously um i'm a little bit older now so violence has a little bit different effect but uh, yeah i don't know it doesn't doesn't bother me it's just weird to see as like a big feature i mean i guess i could conceivably see the same thing being promised in like mortal Kombat dlc at some point but it's you know that series is built on that and i mean i guess i don't it just feel based on what we've seen of the game so far it feels like it's almost selling it a little bit short in the sense that like yeah new death Mm -hmm. animations it makes it sound like it's all about death animations right when in reality that doesn't seem to be the focus the actual focus of the game that's just something that happens as a consequence of you failing at the game (laughs) (laughs) yeah right here is your reward for failure and you can buy more of them with our season pass (laughs) Um, but there was a lot of uh, interesting stuff that came out this week obviously there was the leak of the opening and um, more to the point um, this stuff about the character entering. I mean, they had these side-by-side yeah. shots of the game and and the actor, and it was essentially interchangeable. Um, obviously, idealized con- conditions, um, but yeah, and still they uh, they masked they masked off the hair, so they actually placed the <laughs> okay. Unreal rendered head within the original like hair, just to get a perfect like for like. Uh, but yeah, the rendering quality that we've seen there and in the trailers, it's pretty obvious they're going for photorealism in terms of the you know representing human uh skin and and facial features within a virtual environment like this and it does somebody did point out though that hey this actually looks similar to man of maidan a few years back (laughs) which they did something similar tom would like that Uh, (laughs) i think this does i i see what they mean but i definitely think this is a, a step up from that and definitely one of the best examples of character rending we've seen so far. Hopefully, uh, we'll see when we get our hands in the game. You excited? Oh yeah, I love. I mean, I welcome the return of sci-fi horror. It's a it's a genre that I've always enjoyed, and it has all but disappeared in the last few years, outside of potentially some small games in the indie space. But after Jeff Con this year, it's pretty clear that sci-fi sci-fi horror is back, including Dead Space itself in that remake that they're doing. Uh, And Callisto Protocol seems to be one of the highest end productions. And the fact that if there's actually a a recent commercial for Callisto out there uh, that was done, it was filmed 
sequence, right? It was a, it was a two minute filmed ad showcasing sort of like scenarios you could imagine from the game using real actors and, you know, practical effects. And I was actually surprised to see budget poured into creating something like that kind of reminded me of marketing from the past where you would actually see more elaborate things like that. But I guess they have that PUBG money, hopefully <laughs> it is that uh, publisher or related to that whole thing. But the game does not. Well, it's not in the universe. It does anymore. not seem to be set in the PUBG <laughs> universe, nor does it seem to no. have any sort of battle royale features. Hopefully, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Imagine if that was the twist ending, though, and all the people that you met along the way in the game, all of a sudden it's battle royale time, and a circle starts closing, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh no, it's it's time." <laughs> oh, I do. Man. I do think being you set in the PUBG universe is is definitely a meme. There's just so many meme-worthy applications for being set in the PUBG universe, but the concept that they even suggested that the Callisto Protocol was set in the PUBG universe is one of the most daring pieces of uh, of, of quote-unquote marketing I've ever seen. We'll have to keep our eyes peeled out for PUBG references in there. If you see like a, fr- yeah, a frying pan, if you could pick that up and use it as a weapon, you know, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, sure, maybe yeah, there maybe like, there's a chicken there. dinner in it. That's that's the, the, the tangent, mm-hmm. tangential sort of connection to the PUBG universe. <laughs> that would be, yeah. The ending is your character arrives back home safely to a nice chicken dinner. But the chicken comes to life and eats you in a, DL, oh, that, that in would a be, DLC yes. death animation. Yeah, it rips you apart. I was going to say the same thing, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a post credit scene where he's like feasting on the chicken and the chicken comes to life and like devours him or goes down his throat like alien style. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's where those death animations come in. That's where the balls get sucked. It's uh, that chicken uh, ending. Oh my goodness! Yeah, do you think um, do you think Callisto Protocol will kind of exceed Dead Space now that we're getting a remake or a reimagining at the same time? Ooh, Difficult uh, one, right? Because the remake we saw that uh, footage of it was looking awesome. I think they both look mm-hmm. phenomenal, and I think they're going to be different enough based on what we've seen of the core gameplay, based on trailers and such. Callisto doesn't share the same mechanics as Dead Space. Remember, mm. Dead Space was focused on dismemberment, and you had that very specific yeah. plasma tool that you could rotate left or sort of like vertical or horizontally, and it was all about dismembering your enemies. And everything we've seen from Callisto suggests that it's a little bit more melee heavy and you have more traditional firearms. So it's not going to be that same type of experience necessarily. We'll see how the level design is. It just seems like the entire body goes apart when you get shot yeah. in yeah. protocol. It doesn't even matter which body part you shoot. It's just like, yeah, it's just it's like Soldier of Fortune. Soldier of Fortune. Oh, that boy. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> that. That's a series they would struggle to bring back. If they wanted to do that with a gritty realism, it might get mm-hmm. uh, a rating beyond rated M for mature. AO, perhaps. <laughs> AO. Mm-hmm. My favorite rating. Oh. Yeah, there's, uh, man, these games look amazing, though. I, I can't wait for both of them. Uh, we did a, we sat down and played yep. the original Dead Space um, many years PS ago. Triple versus uh, <laughs> the PC, I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just reminded me how much I love these games and how much I yep. miss them. I hope they so, find success. Uh, I'm happy. Yeah, I hope we get more sci-fi horror 
Last thing here on the docket is we have now seen what Jeff Keighley has nominated for us at the Game Awards. It's him and a panel, yes. to be fair. It's not Jeff Keighley himself. But man, Elden Ring. Elden Ring as far as the eye can see. Because every single uh, column here basically has Elden Ring in it somewhere. Except Family Games. And I'm surprised it's not in there either. Uh, but John... yeah. uh i mean sure elden ring probably is game of the year considering uh even if you don't like it it just took over the entire console space and uh but what did you think john of these uh nominations actually looking through them again here i do think that there's some pretty good stuff selected in here especially uh under the best debut indie game they've got some really great stuff in there such as neon white uh tunic vampire survivors which everybody's going nuts over that kind of stuff's in there. That's pretty good. Uh, I like that they also had a best virtual reality category, which is nice. And Bone Lab is in there, which I still need to try uh, because I loved their prior game so much. Yeah, you have tried that. No, I, w- I was not well enough for a while that uh, hmm. VR was kind of out of the question, but I need to fire that back yeah. up. But yeah, Elden Ring is just dominating the nominations this year, and I'm not surprised. Uh I haven't decided what my actual game of the year is, but out of everything listed here, that would be that's the one that has the strongest possibility of being game of the year, given how much I enjoyed it. Uh, it's a phenomenally well-made game, except when you talk about the technology, which that's a weird point point actually to think about. If I did not have this specific TV with VRR support, uh it may have like i don't think i could have enjoyed the game as much if i was playing without vrr for instance you know what i mean like it was just constantly juddery and uh that that really kind of hurts the experience obviously most people don't seem to mind <laughs> and from software itself doesn't seem to have any interest in solving any of the performance woes as it has not been fixed in that regard so it is what it is I don't know. What do you guys think? Anything here stand out to you as uh, interesting or compelling from the Jeff Awards? Um, well, they seem actually like reasonable picks, unlike the Gamescom Awards. Yeah, uh, that's, which, that's right. I, th- I think the, games, the <laughs> Gamescom Awards were set in the PUBG universe. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but these mm. actually look quite plausible. And, um, yeah, it, it demonstrates that we've actually, despite having a really slow 2022, well, actually, tell a lie, the first quarter was actually packed with good games. Um, yeah. There doesn't seem to be any sort of representation for Dying Light here, which uh, I don't know about oh, yeah. that. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, I don't really see anything uh, sort of uh, contentious here as such. Uh, Bayonetta no. 3, best action game. Mm. I mean, I think still that Shredder's Revenge is very much in the contention of Game of the Year. Oh, yeah. Not just because I'm a huge Ninja Turtles guy, but it's a game that brought families back to the couch, unlike some other potential product that never came out. And just, uh, it's it's a fantastic game, and people sat down and enjoyed it in a way I haven't seen people enjoy a game for many, many years. Uh, So I think it should have been in that... um, uh in that category but my frustration with this show is not so much i think the picks are just fine i think they're better yeah. this year than previous yeah. years uh the problem is that you don't even see most of these awards yeah, that's, on the actual that's, award that's show the point. Yeah. uh it's it's yeah. just about the trailers anyway and it's it, yeah it, it's a frustration of mine and also looking at best score in music which i'm 
very much into game music. And oh, uh, yeah. while there are some, uh, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 should absolutely be there. It probably should win, honestly. Uh, but there's some games that are missing from that category, which is not too surprising anyway. But yeah, I mean, we can look at this list up and down. Um, but you're not going to see most of the winners anyway. Yeah, so. I just feel like they're they're missing a category for some sort of, you know visuals or something like that and i see they have best performance actor but i would like uh digital foundry <laughs> presents best performance in the other sense that would be a fun yeah, category yeah. <laughs> see, yeah why not you know we should pitch it but um yeah there's also uh there's like influencer or like a content creator award oh, yeah. i think and they have like some uh no disrespect to them at all fantastic people that actually left the um, twitter recently uh but they have people that basically tweet news and not so much create content and it's kind of weird to seeing some of these picks um, yeah I'm, but, I'm happy to see nebel get uh, i'm happy yeah yeah it's just a weird shout out hmm. it's really weird though because we're not on here I, I don't know <laughs> so that. i was gonna say that you know they should probably have an award for best you know best best, or best best digital foundry con- yeah, best is for family. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, Oliver would win. All right. I got, without looking though, Audi, can you name what would you say is 2022's best esports coach? If you had best to pick esports one. coach. Oh, my God. Rich can answer too. Uh, I'm sure he's waiting to say something here. See, we make fun of this, but I'm sure there's people sitting out there with like, man, that coach changed my life. And he deserves that award, so I don't want to say anything. Oh yeah, yeah. you're you're right. That's that's yeah. fair. Best but, esports coach is quite a, a a category to have. It it is. It's such a weird. I just think it is a strange category to have at a at an award show like this. Uh, I'm sure it's, they've made a big difference in the lives of these players. I think we should have not a, to knock be, best, esports too best much here. supplier of optimized settings. It's a form of oh, coaching. Man. Why don't you make an award show? There's, there's only one for that. I mean, it's just like, unless it's the Batalia Award for Best Optimized Settings, and it's other people trying to live up to that, which I don't know if that can be done. Well, um, Boner Award. in Berlin could uh, go into Best Adaptation. For Boner. Sure. The Boner Award. Rich, the Boner Award. Now, uh, talking about not having boners, uh, the Best Fighting Game category, there's good fighting games in there. Uh, there's also some weird ones, but I have to say, as someone actually covered Sifu on the channel, uh, Sifu is not really a fighting game. It's not a fighting game at all. But there's there's fighting in it. It, There's fighting in it. This category. Super Mario 64 as well. This feels Uh, like a category where they simply didn't have enough games. Like, were there that few fighting games that that it turned into this? No. I mean, there's more than these. And it just feels like it got slotted in here. Because they wanted more cover, like just to cover the game a little bit more. I, I'm honestly and... surprised that Street Fighter Six Beta didn't get. <laughs> Best Why fight. not? I mean, at this like, point, just, but whatever, just just do it. <laughs> yeah, but Sifu really feels out of not the Nox. Uh, I love that game. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it, and it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, but um, it doesn't belong in that category. And I just, agree. I wonder what the criteria was then uh, for getting it in that particular category and if it wins it's just uh, yeah i don't know maybe it's a typo I, I, and they intended to put it under best family game 
That's my guess. <laughs> yes, this wonderful <laughs> game about your parents being murdered and uh, going back to take revenge. <laughs> well, it's got a family angle, life, actually. Indeed. But All uh, right. yeah. Uh, well, the Game Awards takes place on December 8th. Uh, it will be live streamed around the world. And uh, I don't know if I will be watching it. But you might. And I hope you have well, fun it's watching all, it's it. It's all about and the world premieres. So uh, It's all about the world premieres. Yeah, and, it'll, probably, uh, it'll happen when I'm asleep at night and wake up the next morning and watch all the trailers and that's it. And yeah, Pretty that's much. World premiere. <laughs> now, uh, before we leave then for uh next part of the show let's just uh send our congratulations to andre hordensky martius tarnaskani eric sandgren robert dalstrom and go dongbin for their nomination in esports coach of the year award <laughs> now before jumping into questions and such uh let's talk a little bit about content here and warzone 2.0 John, it's been an interesting ride. Yeah, we wanted to briefly talk about this because so Tom is producing videos covering Warzone 2.0, comparing all the different versions of the game. Obviously, though, to do this, you kind of need more people. And so he roped the whole most of the DF team into his antics. And uh, Rich, we had we had a fun time capturing this. The idea was basically like each one of us takes a different console uh, and none of us really play this, right? So the first order of business... So the idea is that we actually capture it by spectating someone. The idea is if you spectate a player, you can then have like-for-like -like footage across every machine, which is perfect for comparisons and performance testing. But our first order of business was like, all right, how do we actually like get ourselves killed so that we can go uh, spectate? And that led to some hilarity initially. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, essentially the way it works is that you die and then you spectate the remaining team members. And then when the remaining team member dies, you spectate the guy who killed him. And then when he dies, you spectate the guy who killed him until you end up with, you know, whoever is the winner of the game. Or The wrench in the works here is always the gulag. So after you die, you get sent to the gulag where you have to fight it out to potentially be revived. And... uh Every time we show up in there, you know, our I would just go jump up in the middle and spin around in a circle and wait to be shot. But sometimes <laughs> you'd have a teammate come up and revive you, and you're like, no. <laughs> oh so I put together some uh, video here. Obviously, Tom is in charge of all of the different consoles, but um, I downloaded your Xbox One S footage, and I did Series S. And uh, I've put them oh, yeah. side by side here. You can see the performance differential. You can see the graphics differential here. Uh, I think during the filming session, <laughs> you were basically sort of, uh, what would be the best uh, sort of... I, I was marveling at, at the visual at how, how bad it was, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. like the... Uh, compared, you guys were playing on much more powerful machines in general, yeah. I would say. Uh, even in, with the uh, once the B, the base PS4 came into play, I would say that still had an advantage. But on Absolutely. Xbox One, the the amount of texture draw in and like the pairing back of detail, <laughs> the low resolution, like it combined together to create something that I would genuinely describe as pretty ugly. Like it doesn't look good, and the resolution was really low. Performance is is not good. It's very unstable. And it really feels like we're in that era now where it's like, okay, 
they're done really optimizing for this old Xbox One, right? Like, you go back a few years, I'd say Call of Duty has looked better on Xbox One in the past. Games like Battlefield, like, you put Battlefield 1 yeah. next, mm-hmm. on Xbox One next to this, and it looks dramatically better, I think. And it's just, we're definitely in that end of life cycle cross-gen period now that's maybe not as bad as the ps360 era but it's kind of getting there you know what i mean yeah i mean i was looking at your footage and it is basically a proxy or or an advisory form of the actual graphics everybody else is seeing <laughs> but, yeah but it kind of when you see it side by side like this it, it looks as though it sort of holds up but i think it's simply the presence of a much richer version on the other side that is kind of offsetting just how bad the Xbox One version is. Yeah, um, and it's still shot. Xbox One looks okay enough. It's just when you're playing, there's so much instability in the world, like just constant popping and and like the way like textures draw in. Like it reminded me of the original Rage uh, back on those older consoles where you would like look in one direction and then you turn around and the textures are blurry for a second and then they quickly fade in and then you turn around again. Right. And the other ones behind you now are low res and you just, everything's kind of popping and fizzling into view. And with its low resolution, uh, combined with the TAA, Pokemon gonna, Violet? Uh, <laughs> well, it looks better than that. It's not that broken. It is, it, it is sort of competent in, you know, within its technical <laughs> limits, but it is surprising just how much better the PS4 version is when they're of the same generation. And it's simply because they can't afford to not put out a good PS4 version. I think, Whereas you can you can on Xbox One, it's it's now the you know the it's it's supported, but it's not sort of the focus of optimization or anything like that. That raised another issue actually. Is once again you get this feeling that the Xbox One X version is being shortchanged. Yep. Uh, And we were like thinking over like why do they they they're doing it again where they're targeting way too high a resolution for that system. And you end up with drastically reduced performance compared to like PS4 pro. Well, compared uh, to PS4. Compared <laughs> to P- yeah. It's worse than PS4 as well. By a, like by a good chalk. Yeah. And it's just because they're targeting too high a resolution. I'm positive. And there was some theories about this and on the Microsoft store, I think there's like a badge awarded to games that like, classify them as like 4k or something and you have perhaps you have to hit a certain metric in terms of pixel count in order to get that badge and then if you can search by that badge maybe they don't want to be left out i it's the only reason i can think of to push the resolution as high as they are on that system when it's more capable than a ps4 pro it should run better with the proper pixel count you know adjustments but trying to run it like they do it's it's not a great experience i would say mm. yeah and that's a shame because the machine still has a lot to offer i mean it's not that old you know it's 2017 hardware so exactly you know it's 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 newer than ps4 pro it's far more capable than ps4 pro uh, has a lot more memory than ps4 pro so quite why it looks the way it does and performs the way it does i can only assume it's because it's caught in the same kind of development cycle as the base xbox one version which clearly isn't the focus of the developmental effort but the good news at least is that the series s i mean there's a ton of that people are going to be buying a ton of series s because of the black friday deal at the moment which is just it's nuts it's really good um uh, deal there and warzone is good on the series s which i think was um was a not exactly a surprise because it is a cross-gen title right and it should perform well but the fact is you're getting a good experience there 
Um, and um, yeah, it's just yeah. a really interesting experience all around. And it's very rare that we actually have the opportunity to produce matched gameplay completely like this. And it's actually spawned quite a few discussions about, you know, other permutations like um, Series S versus PS4 Pro would be quite interesting since they're both four teraflop machines, something we might look into. And they're both, they both offer a fairly comparable experience from what we can tell. Mm. So the only difference is that Series S can go above 60 FPS. Yeah. And you can use VRR to smooth it out, but it doesn't really hit 120 like its bigger brother does. No, but still good for VRR, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was a really interesting experience. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Tom comes up with. Um, The the worst takeaway for me, though, it has to be the UI the menu system. <laughs> we that we game just couldn't atrocious. figure out what was going on. <laughs> it was so like just coming into it with no knowledge of this. And apparently I'm not alone. We're not alone with this. People are not liking this menu design, but it is totally just this chaotic mess of an interface that feels like it's designed for a touchscreen, but you don't have a touchscreen. So you're just kind of like moving cursors and tapping buttons. Like, okay, how do I get to this menu? You can't select it. Oh, you need to click this stick in, but then you have to press the bumper button here, but then you have to select, you know, it's just, and some things are grayed out and then not grayed out. And you're just like going all over and, you know, and that era, we were getting Alex pretty getting... frustrated with it. <laughs> I was like, Alex so... was just being plagued by a, uh, uh, an error message saying that somebody running a platform that he wasn't validated oh. to run was, was happening and that, uh, what was that? There was the, yeah, there was this this error message that came up where the the way it was written was so like none of us could actually parse what it meant. It was <laughs> written in a way where you're just like, what does this even mean? And you search online, and that's also the question everybody else has is like, what is this? Why is it happening? There is no solution. It's just people are like, I don't know. Restart your console. Maybe it'll fix it. it yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that part of the experience <laughs> was hilarious and also bad. But I really enjoyed actually just kind of doing this with you guys, like playing through it and trying to figure this stuff out. It was a good time. And once we got it down, you know, we were like clockwork. It's like, all right, you start yeah. start the game five seconds before you take off. Everybody hit record. Then we're in the plane. Somebody says three, two, one, jump. We get synchronized jumps. And then it's like, all right, Tom, you stay alive. So he goes hides in a corner somewhere <laughs> so that he doesn't get killed. So we can use him for comparison shots. And then Rich and I and Alex are all like, all right, let's go run for the border. And we try to find the fastest way to get ourselves killed, which is running out of bounds. <laughs> so you just go and run outside the circle, stand there. And then it's gulag time. And then we spin around and die in the gulag. And then we can watch Tom. So so that error that Alex was getting, a player that your platform denies permission to play with you has joined the game. Would you like you to think, exit the lot, lobby? <laughs> can, did, mm. When you hear that, Audie, does that make sense to you? Like, can you let, let me let me do it? Let me let me say it slowly. A yeah. player that your platform denies permission to play with you has joined the game. Would you like to exit the lobby? Does that make any sense to you whatsoever? <laughs> No, it does sound like something I could write, but it doesn't make sense to me. Like, what the? Yeah, wow, what a message. I mean, uh, wow. And the problem with you know, it, Audie, was like every time that message appeared, Alex would button out of it, and then five hmm. seconds later, it would reappear. And it just kept happening over and over and over again, and we couldn't figure Knowing out what to Alex, do. Knowing Alex, I'm sure he was happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was. You know, th- this... Uh, 
it does remind me of an idea when we uh, set up the Patreon. We had ideas of what kind of content. And one of the ideas I can't remember was floated was kind of these small land videos of us playing games together. Uh, it kind of spawned oh, off yeah. you guys playing Half-Life 2. And hearing these stories, it does remind me that that is probably some fun content where people could maybe vote on certain games and have you guys play multiplayer for like an hour. I actually like this idea, especially if they choose games that none of us like, because it could lead to some hilarity. It needs Uh, toilets though. Games with toilets. Oh yeah. uh, But I I agree though. The DF crew bumbling around uh, and talking about the stuff that we do could lead Mm. to some great moments. It has in the past. (laughs) So, I'm taking over. I'm taking over duties for this one, Audie. I'm sorry, buddy. I got to do it. But we're getting to the Q and A section, and you dodged a question earlier, or three questions even. Where the audience wants to know, my my friend, where have you been? I know you, you've you've had a very successful year, and you should share some of your success with the audience so that they know what's going on, if you want. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll keep it short. But uh, yeah, I was offered a job in the United States. Uh, which I took. It's back in game development. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been very good. Uh, John, you've been taking part in some of these productions with me. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, of course, give back. Uh, I'm still very much part of the DF family, though. And if you are on Patreon, uh, you can actually see me there with John quite often. We've done DF retro content exclusively there uh, because it takes a little bit less time to edit and uh, also. My dad always predicted I would sell myself for my actual success. So that's what happened. My dad was right. Oh, yes. So, uh, yeah, uh, I've been at Limited Run Games, and uh, it's been pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I do really appreciate everyone. I get a lot more messages than you would think uh, asking me where I am in relation to DF. Uh, I didn't expect people to really remember me after all this time. Uh, but I am on Patreon, so I would definitely suggest to all of you if you are interested, uh, check out the Patreon. We do a lot of good retro content there. And uh, we do Q&As and pickups. And John and I are working on DF Retro together at the moment. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to try to do some more episodes. So I think between you and Mark and Corey as well helping mm-hmm. out, we've got a very, very solid crew uh, all working together on cool DF Retro stuff right. in the future. So, so, so are, you, are you at liberty to discuss your limited run uh, world, what you actually do day to day? Yeah, is it, uh, absolutely. Are you running Black Ops? Uh, no, no. Uh, there was uh, uh, there was an acquisition uh, of uh, Embracer picking up Limited Run earlier, so I couldn't talk much about the company. But I am a uh, lead producer on our internal developments. So uh, in terms of our retro game compilations as well as new developments, new games, uh, I'm actually lead producing those. So. Uh, I take care of a lot of financial wranglings um, and day-to-day <laughs> operations for these games. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of where, uh, you know, you guys probably know, but like producing is kind of my um, passion. And I like to do stuff behind the scenes much more so than on camera in general. So, uh, yeah, it just kind of it relates to my interests a lot. No, that's cool. I, th- I think it's a perfect job for you. Uh, and I'm very happy that you 
pulled that off. So again, congrats. Even though I've said it in the past, uh, it's it's good. And yeah, yeah. We'll take whatever we can get from you when you have time. Uh, <laughs> Always enjoy doing the retro stuff. Yeah, and we have a lot of plans. And then my time has become more open now with things slowing down a little bit. And as such, you know, we've been working on more videos. Uh, there were, it's been two this month, I believe, or there's another one coming at least. It- uh very soon uh uploads the channel so yeah there's a lot more coming in i'm sure we'll do some more stuff towards the holidays so as with every week rich is rich uh has his favorite part of the show where it's the supported (laughs) q a if you're on patreon you can submit questions every week and ask us anything uh this week We'll start with a question from Jack Craig. With the recent performance issues of the new Pokemon, I can't help but think the video games industry needs to reevaluate yearly cyclical release games. Uh, do you guys think there will ever be an end to yearly released games? John? Um, no, I don't think there will be. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> when you look at the sales numbers of Pokemon, um, I don't think they have any reason. Yeah, it's like to... 3 million already, right? In like 10 minutes. 10 million. It's, Ten million. it's selling an insane number of copies. It's very popular. Mm-hmm. People are point, poking fun at the bugs, uh, obviously, as it, it, it deserves that. Um, but, you know, people still like the game and it's selling like crazy. So internally, what reason do they have to really change at this point? I do think, however, given that Nintendo is involved, I suspect that the amount of backlash this time, which was, I would say, more extreme than usual... Uh, would at least lead them to reconsider certain things about the release. Like, this kind of gives them a little bit of a technical black eye, right? Like, the Pokemon games were not well known for their technical foundation, but this one in particular, I would say it is pretty much on par with the Cyberpunk situation. Uh, And the fact that it's only a single platform makes it a lot worse, right? Because Cyberpunk had to shift ship on many different consoles and the reason it turned out the way it did in some ways was due to those consoles being somewhat incapable of handling their ambitions for the visuals but that game had plenty of bugs as well and this one does too and they're being shared in much the same way but again i mean cyberpunk got a serious black eye getting removed from the psn store and all that but it still sold well and it's still popular and pokemon still sold well it's very popular these games are annual for a reason, and I just don't think it's going to change. I think what they need to do instead is maybe change some of the back-end stuff with how they're designing this. Like, I think I've said this before, but Game Freak would really benefit from having a genuine, like, an entire team dedicated to just the technology. You know, similar to, like, uh, the Call of Duty studio, right? Like, Call of Duty has, like, sort of their internal tech team doing lots of research and development work. There's a lot of work that's poured into making sure that the tools are up to snuff and and everybody can work and make these games efficiently. Obviously they have all their in-house stuff for Pokemon as well, but it's just not good. Like it does not perform well. It looks terrible. There needs to be changes to that. And they have the money to hire up a team, I think, to really make sure that the technology could shine in the future. Because some of the mistakes they made, like Oliver did an amazing video on this, really showcasing what I'm talking about. Uh, And it's so, like, it's the kind of stuff that you saw happening when developers first started exploring open world games like 20 years ago. Like, they make some of those mistakes, but it runs and looks worse at the same time. 
it's just baffling. There's there's a lot to to unpack here, as, as people <laughs> yeah. say. First of all, um, I think there is generally a move away, or at least a realization that yearly cyclical uh, releases, you eventually run out of steam. It happened with Assassin's Creed. Yep. So that, that is no longer a yearly release. Hmm. Um, it, it's looking like Call of Duty next year will be an expansion pack rather than a full game. And Call of Duty already shifted to this multi-studio model years yep. ago anyway, right? So so I'd say that there's precedent that, you know, it is, it is better to actually invest in quality, which ironically is the Nintendo, um, you know, th- that's the way they do things. They don't rush their games. They come out when they're ready, hmm. except this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think... I think the problem with Pokemon or Pokemon, whatever, is that um, uh, the usual argument has been, ah, these games don't really require competent technology. Uh, But what we're actually seeing with uh, Violet and Scarlet is that we're looking at tangible, massive regression from Arceus which came out at the beginning of the year. Which already didn't look great. Which already, you know, the, the, the title of the video back at the time is, you know, what, you know, are there tech issues here? The answer was, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's okay. Well, it's not okay anymore based on this showing. Full of bugs, which is, you know, this is the thing that Nintendo really, you know, it doesn't matter if there are, if there are technical compromises. Having bugs in games is totally against the Nintendo DNA, right? especially of this of this magnitude um if i was nintendo i would be parachuting in my tech team i would be parachuting in the engine that they've got which they've deployed on several titles like splatoon mario etc um because it's just clearly far better than anything that game freak have got um as to whether it's viable to do that i don't know i'm just surprised monolith hasn't been brought us to assist as they have assisted in many other releases, yeah, for Zelda, years, right? right. Whatnot, Including yeah. with Zelda, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they don't have enough resources to go around as well, which is understandable. But Game Freak needs help here for sure. It's pretty clear. I saw it. Do. I saw it. The, the graphics described. It looks like a PS One game running under emulation at a higher resolution. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it kind of does. It kind of I mean, does. Not, not that you could do environments this large on PS1 necessarily, but it does have that look with the weird tiled textures and just, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> the lack of any sort of lighting. But I think, you know, the, the big success of Oliver, Oliver's video was basically to, to sort of destroy this argument that, um, oh, the, the Pokemon titles have always been technically poor. It doesn't matter. When, you know, when you, when you compare it with the game that came out months earlier, it's so much worse, and clearly right. something has gone horribly wrong that needs to be addressed. It's also demonstrated that it's not the fault of the Switch, right? There are sure. plenty of yeah. other ambitious Chronicles 3. games. Yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles 3, of course, Nintendo's own Zelda, but even Zelda. stuff like Dying Light, right? Dying Light 1 yeah. on the Switch is, is an amazing accomplishment. You see that running. It's not that far off, and it's far more detailed than anything uh, in Pokemon. I mean, it's more realistic, yes, but they could you do that with the with the more cartoony art style i don't know it's just it's disappointing if if you look at the modern handheld games they did unlike ds 3ds they were game freak was really good then technically i mean they looked incredible for their time yeah i wouldn't say they were great but they it was at least competent and they looked nice right nice enough yeah they're really good stylized 2d slash like oh their their 2d stuff was great actually yeah that's what i'm talking about like yeah. yeah so yeah, I mean, it's not like Game Freak can't make incredible-looking games, but it's clear that the transition into full 3D has been troublesome for them. I would say Pulse Man looks better than this by a lot. Mm, 
Pulseman is good. I mean, all the way back to Mega Drive now, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> I <know. laughs> what you can get from Game Freak. Uh, but all right, it's probably enough for that one. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. let's move on to the next question. As it's addressed to Audi, I shall read it out. Audi, good to see you. Can you speak on how multilingual skills opens you up to new discoveries and opportunities professionally? Interested in the overall response from DF2, as it seems there are quite a few spoken languages within your small team. Thoughts? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. That's from Bjork Tribe, by the way, if I from didn't Bjork say. Tribe. Very nice to meet yeah. you again. Uh, yeah, so for, just for my own sake, uh, it's definitely opened up a lot of professional opportunities for me in the sense that you know you're more versatile i think more so than being fluent in languages what really helps is just a general understanding of conversational culture so having like a baseline of comfort in that it allows people to lean on you a lot stronger than uh simply you can be fluent in the language and i've seen it in japan a lot of times where people have lived there for 15 years speak it fluently but the way they present themselves and the way they communicate themselves is still wildly different from where they are culturally. And so even with my very bad Japanese, it's been more advantageous for me to just be a little bit more comfortable in the sense to uh, speak with and lean on. So I think more so than the language, it's just a understanding and uh, patience with different cultures and different uh you know, language is beyond just spoken language. Um, but yeah, I mean, in DF, um, there's quite a lot of languages. Uh, there's a lot of German, <laughs> at least. Uh, John, well, Alex is exceptionally fluent in German. John, it's uh, very, very impressive. But John is also very, very, he speaks more Japanese than he admits. And John speaks fairly good French. He's spoken French too. Yeah, uh, de- decent enough French, VD. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's enough to it's enough to speak with my in-laws, thankfully. And have a nice dinner conversation. Just to give an example of what you can do in that sense, or what it can open up to, even within DF, when we do live streams or videos, sometimes I will speak uh, Brazilian Portuguese. And oh, yeah. everyone comes out of the woodwork. And they love it. It's you know, great. The, I love the Brazilian fans in a special way because there's a special camaraderie in when they can feel comfort in oh. uh, folks. And that opens up doors. It opens up an audience for us. I've noticed it a lot in our streams, especially that I mean, we'll get more donations, we'll get more uh, just with conversation. Bra- Brazil, man, it's like I don't speak Brazilian Portuguese, of course, but mm-hmm. their love of Sega. It's, it's right yeah. here in the heart, man. I love it. <laughs> and they'll open up. They'll come and speak with us because there is a level of comfort in the sense that I yeah. speak a little bit of it. So, yeah, exactly. uh, you should always expand your horizons. And sp- you don't need to be fluent, but just study different cultures, study different places, and just immerse yourself a little bit. And it opens up doors. That's a that's really good advice, actually, Audie, because that's actually something I've struggled with. Is like I feel like if I'm not perfect at something, I can't do it at all, and yeah, it sometimes and holds me back. And it's, it's I don't think that's so. I don't think that's so important. Uh, I mean, that's what I do it as well. I lose my Japanese all the time because I get nervous. Uh, but I think if you just simply, if you just simply show an effort, that's what's important. If you don't show an effort at all and you come off brash, that can be more, much more alienating. Yeah, I think the true. effort is what people read into, and that's more important. Take your shots. <laughs> that's what you're saying. Do you speak anything else but English, Rich? 
Uh, no, not really, no. But um, I, I really value the um, the efforts that other team members have done to speak other languages. I mean, I was in Berlin a couple of months ago with Intel, um, and um, Alex was uh, just you know fluent German with all of the Intel German teams. We also met the guys from Computerbase, or one of the guys from Computerbase. Uh, he turned up for the dinner. It's just a really great skill to have, right? It just instantly places you more within that setting. And um, it's just you get more done and it's it's just uh, more friendly, right? It's more respectful also if you can speak the native tongue of the, of the country that you're in. And obviously there are um, uh, logistical benefits to it as well. So, you know, for example, when it, there's, there's so much mistranslated Japanese cropping oh, yeah. up in news stories that it's always yeah. great to go to John and say, did, did they actually say that? Is that, is that true? Yeah. And then, you know, usually it turns out that there's uh. some kind of, um, uh, you know, meaning in the words that a yeah. Google Translate can't put over properly. I think exactly. audio is as well, but Japanese mm. is one of those languages with the way it's spoken where uh, if you just like use a translation tool, you miss context and miss like, because they throw out a lot of words and some of the phrasing, right? It's not, so you don't always have the complete thought. You really need to to look at what's said as a whole. And I don't know, it's it's a weird thing, but translation tools don't usually do a great job there, I feel. Classic example that is like Miyamoto has been misquoted more than he has been quoted correctly <laughs> yeah. in his career, right? It's yeah. just like he he hates Donkey Kong and you know, there's all these things where it's just Does he? it's not <laughs> well there was the there was a rumor that he doesn't like Donkey Kong Country. Right. Uh, yeah. at all. Exactly. Because he was like jealous. And it yeah. That's silly. So yeah uh okay. definitely so you know for me in my professional career language has been important that's probably one of the reasons why i get hired by different companies for sure okay uh last question here from uh, one of my favorite supporters trans tech girl mm-hmm. uh with 480 sitting still uh, sitting in stock several 490s available in stock and ryzen 7000 getting hefty price cuts have amd and nvidia misjudged the market and do you think will likely are likely to see gpu price cuts in the near future there's no there's no question mark here so i guess it's a statement uh, <laughs> but i'll ask you rich um yeah i think the problem with ryzen 5000 is that uh essentially it came out overpriced versus intel so this is a great example actually of competition driving down prices and it's also actually a really good example of just having two really strong competitors within uh, the same market by, place, right, which is actually making all of this stuff happen. Uh, the GPUs is a slightly different situation because, you know, essentially, as I said earlier, you know, NVIDIA have got 80% market share. In some territories, it's actually higher than that, in some a little bit lower, but that's the overall trend. The power of the brand there is 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 huge. But at the same time, um, 4080 hasn't sold as well as it should have, um, I guess. Although, you know, from reports that are coming out, it looks as though the actual amount of stock brought into the channel was low anyway, suggesting low expectations. Um, has Have AMD and NVIDIA misjudged the market? Well, quite possibly because, you know, there was a mad sort of grab for GPUs during the pandemic. Um, because, you know, a lot of people were at home and wanted to play games. And to do that, you know, they, they decided they needed a new GPU. Um, the question is now sort of pressure on two fronts. First of all, do people really need new GPUs at the moment when so many were sold during the pandemic period? And secondly, the prices have gone up um, and not in a great way. 
um, it's it's quite remarkable to see stuff like the 4080 just not provide value. I'm hoping to see better from the 4070 Ti, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see there. Have they misjudged the market? Um, the concept that NVIDIA brought in a lower amount of stock for 4080s kind of suggested they they were testing the market and might have made a misstep. But, you know, with so few units in the in, in the market, they're probably not unduly affected. Um, but there are hefty price cuts elsewhere, right? Um, the Radeon 6000 series is going down in price. Some really good deals there. Um, and yeah, but weirdly, um, you know, RTX 3080 seems to be marginally moving up in price. Um, I don't know is the short answer. I don't think we we might see GPU price cuts in the near future, but only when RTX 3000 has gone because there's still a ton of cards in the in the channel there. But yeah, I think there's a lot of learning going on in what is a really difficult time period and raising prices to that degree after having sold so many in the previous generation and in the middle of an economic crisis. It's uh, problematic, right? Anything to add to that, John? Oh, not really. I think you got it covered pretty well there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add then is, again, the the crypto crash. You know, I think when crypto miners were buying up these cards, it wasn't just that they were buying up stock, but it created this illusion that well, it wasn't really an illusion, but it squeezed the market. So people that had some interest in a GPU that, you know, when, let's say there's a plenty of stock available and they see a $1,200 GPU and they're like, you know, eh, maybe I don't need to spend that. But if you know that getting one of those cards is difficult, uh, I think people are much more likely to say, well, this is my only shot at it. I'll go ahead and spend that money. Right. So I think it impacted the people buying GPUs for games in that sense as well as a yeah. mentality shift. And we don't have that anymore. So yeah. It's it's a lot harder to convince people to spend that much money when they can easily get it at any point and or wait for a sale. Absolutely, which could happen. So I think there's just you know people are like yeah I'm fine. Well you know I'm there good. was one uh, particular tweet I saw which was quite damning where you know for the cost of a forty eighty you could basically have an entire PC with a um, sixty eight hundred XT, <laughs> which is just <laughs> which is just kind of puts things into Yikes. perspective there but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there things will be happening going forward the question is really what's happening in the kind of you know $300 range $400 you know that's steam deck steam deck yeah <laughs> but you know I, I really just want to see good good products in those areas where you know it's it's typically where people it's the kind of budget more people have to spend on a on a GPU right we're sort of arguing over what should be low volume products at the moment when you're talking about $1,000 for a graphics yeah. card plus. I mean, that's yeah. what Intel kind of targeted first, right? Like with their ARC stuff. Is yeah, like I think so, but I think it brackets. was more necessity because the yeah. <laughs> because of the performance wasn't quite where it, true, they were hoping true. it would beat. But yeah, interesting stuff for sure. Well, guys, uh, that was it for the questions this week. And I think that's it for this episode. It's been running a little bit long. But I had an amazing time sitting down with you guys again and talking some video game news. And I hope to be back soon again. So thank you both for joining me this time on this wonderful DF Direct. 
uh, episode. Now, for all of you, if you want to join us, uh, do like and subscribe, uh, follow us on this channel, as well as on Patreon. You can see me and John muse a lot over retro gaming and other things there, as well as other fantastic content. So this is the best time to sign up for our Patreon because we are adding a lot of new stuff there every month. And also, of course, if you want to tell Rich, don't bring this guy back again. Do it on Patreon because we don't read the YouTube comments. So see you soon again. And these guys will see you next week.